0: Hello, I'm Fran, and this is Consent-Based Everything, a podcast about creating a culture of consent in our homes and beyond. Uh, welcome, everybody. I'm really excited today because I am going to be chatting to Nikolai Pizarro. Uh, you may know her as Raising Readers on Instagram. Um, hi and welcome, Nicolai. Hi, Fran. I'm just as excited. Truly. I'm I'm so thrilled because um, as I was saying earlier, we are we have been kind of following each other for a while on Instagram and like chatting and sort of I've shared a lot of your posts and I'm a big fan of everything that you say. I'm going to let you just introduce yourself and say who you are, what you do, how you came to do the work that you do.
1: Yeah, so my name is Nikolai Pizarro, as you shared, and um, my handle is Raising Readers. I've been on social media for now fifteen years doing this work, so it's exciting. Wow! And, so you're
0: like one of the first people on Instagram, virtually. Well, right?
1: I started on Twitter, doing, okay. like when I brought people over to from Twitter to um, Instagram. So I've been in Instagram still for twelve years. And um, slowly been building and um, sharing this message, which has taken a long time to catch on. And it really wasn't until the pandemic that my work exploded on social media. On the grounds, I've been, you know, it's been slow and steady. But on social media in 2020, people were like, actually, I know someone that can help. It felt like people were coming to me with that. Um, so, yes, yeah, since 2020, I have had a lot of growth in that area, and I'm so, Um. obviously, you don't want us to take a pandemic, but very grateful that the time and the space exists, and that we are here in this collectiveness, so I am grateful for that. I'm originally from Puerto Rico. Um. I have two children, two young people that I am raising and witnessing every day. Um. They are six and 14 now both would say six and a half and 14 and a half (laughs) um but yeah it's been excited and I have homeschooled or rather unschooled my son and since about halfway through kindergarten until now so it's been a long journey I also want to share that he is neurodivergent which makes um our life exciting and I have I have a great um gratitude because that experience is really what led me to this work
0: so yeah yeah um so i i wanted to talk about literacy a little bit because you are very outspoken about it you're a big proponent of phonics and kind Mm of uh phonemic awareness and phonics instruction and literacy um and and you're unschoolers like you said and that is a funny combination and I only say this because uh you know in the unschooling world there's a lot of uh sort of disagreement in a way around literacy literacy sorry but there's also a general vibe of like it's just gonna happen reading is natural um and it if you give kids time and space it they will just pick it up and it's it you know we don't have to do any instruction, we don't have to use a method, et cetera. So I just want to hear uh, how you sort of frame that and how those two things uh, can be held together for you, the kind of consent-based non-coercive aspect, but the also the phonics.
1: Yeah, I, I first I want to share that I, think of literacy as a tool for liberation and I'm very grounded in what the role of literacy has been in access to literacy or lack of access has been of literacy for black and indigenous people in this country. And so to me literacy is not just a, a schooling thing for me to I, I think a lot of times we're rejecting these coercive experiences and school-based trauma and so we're like we don't need any of it and we don't like school and in, in, in in that process we forget that that is not our only narrative and so for me my only narrative is not schools are coercive my own my my narrative is just as much as this tool has been used to oppress and has been used to liberate and I have to and so it is a part of my story Um, and therefore I center my home in my story in my community in the collective so much that my school trauma doesn't like that that's not a loud thing, right? And so I'm saying, yes, I don't like schools. I don't like the things that go in them, but at the same time, I still have this tool for liberation that is very much a part of what has given us access and continues to give access to us and the way in which we can engage with print so that it empowers us as a community, as individuals and as a collective. And so to me, that's what literacy is. A lot of the times, we're rejecting the schooling, but we can't reject the schooling, and then reject the literacy piece and the liberation part of it. And so now, how do we come into li- into literacy, right? How do we get literate? How do we engage in that? Um, the science, or so we can say, you know, what is the science? But the science is out there. Seventy years, we there's a lot of people that say it doesn't really just happen. For everyone. So for 20% of the population, for 15% of the population, it does happen like that. And it with enough exposure, it can. Um, but we're not in it for 15% of the population. <laughs> we're in it for the collective. And so for the rest of the people, um, the rest of the young people, we do need that support. And I always share if it was just going to happen, just because you have desire. Um, and exposure, then we wouldn't have all of the low literacy adults or adults that are suffering through life and feeling shame and being kept out of basic human rights who have great desire. <laughs> they have great desire and lots of exposure. There's print everywhere. And so if adults, if we, if we want to say that the, that with enough desire and exposure, you will just get it. That would also be a reality for pretty much any adult that is really suffering. And so, I I don't subscribe to it. It is not a reality. is is really nonsensical to me. I have seen it happen. I I made some very small associations when I was, you know, letters time associations with my son. And I was already doing literacy work, so it was all in my my environment. And you know, three, three and a half, my son was decoding and putting words together, and he really was doing it with a little bit of indirect exposure, and then it just happened on its own. Um, whereas I have not seen that for every child that I have worked with, including my daughter, right? Different child, different different skill set, different reality. I've worked with a lot of people within our community, the unschooling, self-directed community, where they thought it was just going to happen. And then it's like 10, 12, and a child, a young person is not reading and then writing too. There's a mechanic to writing, not just And I say, writing, not just forming the letters, but actually formulating and structuring um, an argument or, you know, a, a well read, you know, an email, an op ed, whatever it is that they want to communicate with the world. And that's not happening. And because then we feel shame. So this is what happens. The people where it's happening naturally. Um, those people are really loud and really, you know, they're they're either printed or following the blogs. And then when it doesn't happen that way, a lot of parents within our community just don't speak up that it's not happening because that feels like a failure on um, on um, unschooling. They don't want people to think unschooling doesn't work.
0: Yeah. And um, so then they, yeah, and then they don't share it. Just quickly to say that, yeah, I I fully agree, and I think uh, when our only narrative in unschooling is when they want to read, they will find a way to learn. That's really harmful for all those kids who who, who do have the desire, because of course you need the desire, but but it's almost inevitable you're going to have the desire because you're surrounded by print. The desire is just not always enough, like you said, like. There will be kids who have the desire, but who don't have the tools. And
1: Uh, I have a parent right now with a, that I'm working on a private intervention where the daughter was like, is, is set. Why didn't you teach me? Why did you ever do this? Because now she's eight and a half and she's really struggling. And she sees that it's gatekeeping her from all of these self directed things that she wants to do. And she has to go a step back. And the parents were like, well, we we're just letting you find your own. And she's like, you've taught me many other things. Like you've taught me how to brush my teeth. You taught me how to do many, many things. It wasn't like you never taught me. Mm -hmm. And so I often share with parents, not, a uh, we do not want to avoid difficulty for our children, for our young people, right? They're going to struggle, but a young person struggling because we, our identity and our, and our alliance and our self-concept about unschooling was so strong that we are not willing to do something to not impose our will because we think it's academic, it's not a natural consequence. So a natural consequence, that's really adults getting in the way, right? Mm-hmm. So if now a young person is struggling through, through life or struggling through a period of time of, literacy or numeracy where they're not able to get to where they want, because we did not give them those tools, that's not a natural consequence. Um, That really is a consequence of us getting in the way and really taking on the identity of uh, unschooling and what we desire it to look like, um, taking it on and centering above the needs of the young person.
0: And that's when unschooling becomes dogmatic as well. And you're centering this dogma and you're putting that above your own child and what you can see that they want and need, or if they're struggling and you don't recognize it because you've been told that everything will just come, they'll just pick it up. Everything will come naturally. And I think to your point of saying, it's not like we don't teach them other things. We, we do. I mean, I was just thinking of like cooking, for example, like, I, when the kids are in the kitchen with me, I do quite a lot of like instruction of like how to cut certain things or like how I want them to follow a certain recipe and it, but it's kind of a natural instruction. It's not like, right, I'm going to give you a lesson on like cooking, but it is instruction because there's a procedure to follow if you want the dish to end up a certain way, right? And yeah. what's some more important, so like you could be a little bit more experiential with
1: like an omelet and, you know, it's eggs. You warm them out, they, they're going to taste how they taste. But if you're thinking about, <laughs> if you're going to think about even like a French omelet, that's a whole different, more sophisticated, more complex procedure. Um, but like, if you're trying to make sourdough bread or if you're trying to make, you know, a flaky crust, there's going to be even more instruction and so, um, and more steps and you can't, and you can't be as natural. There's going to be some technique. So if a young person has an interest in that particular thing, um, we have to teach that particular thing in that particular way with, um, with writing. Now, it can happen. What I love about our, our, what I what I love about unschooling or self-directed learning is that we are not constrained by the same um time frames that we don't have to follow the same metrics. And it doesn't, so we still have that. We don't lose it, but instruction is instruction. And it doesn't have to direct instruction does not have to be oppressive. It does not have to violate consent. There's some things um, even with, and I have spoken to him before doing this. Um, actually, I spoke to him before the SDE um, conference, so I, I feel comfortable with sharing this. But he has dysgraphia. graphia. He reads very, very, from very, very young. Um, he read well above whatever grade level. His comprehension is greater than mine, for sure. <laughs> um, incredibly gifted in that area, this, but he struggles in writing. And there are a lot of things that we have had to do to get him to where he is as a teenager so that he can assert himself. It is still, and when I say a lot, I mean a lot of things, a lot of cognitive therapy, a lot of interventions. I cannot imagine what that would instill, even with all of the tools that he has available to him. He will still avoid it because it's still very difficult for him. And I cannot imagine him now being 14, 15, going straight into the world and us doing all of that work in a few years time, because it really has taken all of this time. And still, when he avoids it, we pencil it in so that it's not, um, Like, so that we can create some distance between. So this is where the consent comes in, Fran, is that you have to lead with relationship and and trust and saying, I share this with my children all the time. I don't know if I'm going to be around, right? Today, tomorrow. And so the relationship, our connection matters. Um we repair daily we connect daily we do all of those things daily but also the wisdom and the in the in the sharing and the nurturing and the direction that i can offer my children is also a daily thing and so if i wasn't going to be here tomorrow for whatever reason i don't know that he has a more patient guide and understanding than me and so i'm like here is this thing that we're in it together we're tackling together and we have to put it on the calendar of when we're going to tackle writing as we like onboard him right for full independence in the next few years. Um there's nothing that that is consensual. That is having conversations. That is us being in a relationship. That is me saying, like, I got you, I have your back um let me guide you in him saying I trust you because of all this other work that we've done um
0: yeah, yeah the relation I mean the relationship piece I think is really the main piece because um without that you will just get pushback yeah like most kids um but here's another thing that I feel is like uh, a real narrative in in unschooling circles which is um, everything seems to all of the the blog posts and the talk about learning to read seems to end at like the point when a parent has established that the child can read whatever that means uh, but nobody really talks about like does the child who can read you know a very simple chapter book does that child actually become a proficient reader Reader, does that child actually learn to like write uh, not yeah. just basic writing but writing in many forms like you were saying earlier like emails uh articles fiction writing whatever the child might want to be into writing um and and both those things are important like proficiency in in reading is important because we're going to need it in life we're going to be reading contracts like even if we don't do a job that's got to do with writing and reading we're still going to need to read medical documents we're gonna we may have to like stand up for ourselves in some situations and be able to like you know, sift through the data and the research on something or whatever. Um, so I feel like that the conversation tends to end at, oh, they can read. And- yeah, no, they can
1: decode. I think that that's a very, again, a very schooly thing. And so it's so interesting that we're rejecting school systems and yet we're engaging with those very narratives, because that's what schools do, schools and literacy instruction, reading instruction really after third grade, and then everything is content. And so here we are as unschoolers, or as self-directed learners, or however we want to say it, instructing young people, and we're really mimicking and mirroring that same school schedule. So we're like, okay, decoding happens, we're done. It's like, well, really, that's what school systems have done and have like that's, that's, they failed, they have failed. And so are we also adopting that? Because, um, and that's also where criticality and proficiency come in. And so when I think of literacy and literacy instruction, again, in my home and with my clients, we're doing, we're, we're talking about that through the teen years. And even, and so how are we making inferences and how are we um, examining sources and how are we pulling information together? All of those things, how are we like looking at perspective and our audience and like all of that background knowledge, like how are we tying all of those things, things together? And it's just like you said, we're going to have to engage with contracts with um, you know, at some point we might take care of elderly parents. And so like, how do you navigate all of those things? I cannot imagine just having my young people leave my home and not be fully prepared to engage with print and with the world in all of those spaces, which requires literacy and numeracy. And so um, the same way that I have, body safety conversations because i want to protect my young people or i have consent or i have really conversations about equity all of those you know all because i have all of those conversations in my home as a part of our home culture then the preparation to be able to engage with all of those all of those areas and lives also comes comes to play and is handled in my home and environment. It doesn't always have to be me. It could always also be another instructor. But we're guiding and we're driving those skills and we're building them. And we call that love. We don't just call it self instruction, <laughs> direct instruction.
0: Um. So, what would you say? Because I get uh, a lot of uh, messages uh, from people who who think literacy is important. So they they care about it they want to center it in their lives, but whose kids are resistant and they're struggling with like the consent piece of that. So they're struggling with like, how do how do I um, engage with my child so that they're willing to like practice the skill, you know, regularly and uh, do the thing that they actually probably really want to do, which is read or write. Uh, but which maybe is hard for them, or maybe they're just kind of resistant to it, or whatever. So what what are the things that you would would say yeah. to Well,
1: if we can, the I most ideal thing is to start early, right? So we start early in so that it becomes incidental, like with most people that have um young people that like under three, really the way and i have a resource friend that you can put in your notes where i teach parents how to make letter sound connections and how to blend and do all of that incidentally as a part like in a natural way the first three years so that then when your child when the young person is like four and five they're already learning to decode very simple words and then the conversation is this which really this is a conversation that you can Always have. But if you start young, as I am reading, I am making the connection with the young person that what I am doing is I'm taking these letters that have these sounds and I'm putting them together. That the connection that this is how I am doing it is very, very important. So if you from a very early age, if we just read and read and read to children to children when they're young, they don't know that what we're doing is putting the letters together and blending them. If you get that concept in early, then they will want to put the letters together and blend them. right? So if you kind of do that work, um, they're already engaging in that way. Then they realize, OK, that's not enough. Right. And then the conversation is. There is it's just like a game. It's just like anything that has more complexity and more steps later. Um, there is more to this code to get to this next level. Now, I have access to this code. I know how to do it. And I can share it with you. I can actually share these other pieces so that you can assert yourself and engage with this thing. And then you can make more progress. And what that progress gives you is all of these other things. And so the work the the work that we're doing, the structure work is really like, I don't want to be the gatekeeper. I don't want any adult or any person that knows how to do this to be the gatekeeper. I am doing this work with you. Like This is where the practice comes in so that no one is gatekeeping these things for you. And if you can really, really center that um, is really helpful. Um, and that makes sense. I think a lot of the, the time when I work with parents is that they assume um, that young people have made that connection and that they understand it that way, but they, they don't. They still feel like, well, this is something that my parent is just making me do and it's difficult. And they have not really internalized that connection. Once you internalize that connection and then you're saying, and you can do it with me or you can do it with this other person, but it still has to be done so that we're not gatekeeping you. Um, Yeah, I wanna share really quickly. My son, when he uh, was young, he lost his mom. My mom gave him a drone and he lost it in the store. And I think he was like six or seven. And he was always an avid reader, reluctant writer and so we, I kind of have to help him co- co-regulate because his new helicopter is now in the sewer and we're not getting it and <laughs> we don't have access to it. And so we breathe and we did all these things. It was Sunday. There's nothing I can do. He wanted me to call somebody. He's like, oh somebody, fix this for me. And I'm like, really, there's nothing. I said, but we can write an email and see what happens. And I can't guarantee, but in the moment, really, I had no, no idea that anything would come of it. Thought I was just a band aid. I just needed him to come <laughs> um, back. On Monday, the sewer company came to our house and they knocked on our door and they were like, We don't want rubbish in our sewer. And when we're making the rounds for, for this area, we will go and open it and retrieve it because it's probably just right there. And he made that connection between writing an email and meeting his needs and so the sooner that we can not just in reading but also in writing help young people make that connection between their agency and gatekeeping and not being gatekept, Mm -hmm. um then that really helps
0: yeah I thanks for sharing that I love that I think it's 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 kind of like in yeah helping them make have that click in their heads that like Um, literacy is all it can be wonderful in its own right but it's it's really also a means to an end often like writing an email to the sewer company so they can retrieve what you've lost or whatever Um, actually my daughter has been recently writing um, emails to my mother um, and, and my I'm Italian so my my parents are Italian my mother doesn't she understands English but she doesn't really like write English so she's been writing in Italian and and up until now my daughter has not wanted to really like learn to write in Italian she can write in English uh but she you know she just has stuck to (laughs) (laughs) speaking it's a lot um but just recently she's been coming to me and like showing me the email and Italian's very phonetic so it's actually quite simple to write but there are just a few things here and there that like you need to get right and um, she's been showing me the emails and she started to like, kind of get into it and be like, hey, this is this is why learning to write in Italian is useful and like is a good thing for me because I can now like write to my grandma and we can exchange. Yeah. It. Um. So, yeah, that's kind of a similar story of like when the moment comes that your kid makes that connection. Right. And we
1: can, and we can share that connection and we can make that connection as we go along. So they understand that. I think very similarly, friend, um, my son stopped speaking Spanish for a while. And then we went to the airport or something that I always try to do is I try to get assistance from, or be helpful, or just make a connection, a conversation with someone who clearly speaks Spanish and not English. So a lot of like People that are coming here in this country, um, and maybe just you know working in the back of a store, and that you're able to like make that connection. And he's really into centering humanity; that's his jam. And so he's like, "Oh man, you really helped that person at the airport get to the other place." Or that has been his interest for learning to to speak Spanish again, or start practicing. Has led with that, so we can find ways to, to you know, to help and to add utility. And if we share, also, if we're really doing anti-racist work and equity work in our in our homes, and we're constantly we are sharing the narrative that. Like that, a letter from Birmingham from MLK, right? If we're doing that, there's very strong connection, right? And how this person who helped the oppressed and pushed our movement forward had to write a letter from prison. If that you're having those conversations, the literacy tool as a tool of liberation is very much centered. Now, if you're not having them, and then that's way more compelling than um writing an email. Right. And it could be. Right. And so it's also we do have to center literacy in many areas, not just utility of the self, but also the legacy of literacy. I think is important.
0: Yeah. And I think also like the the conversation in unschooling around reading has been dominated by white families. Um yeah. And I think, uh, and I don't know this, but but perhaps, um the reason why it's gone the way it's gone is to some extent privilege, like 100%. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, that a lot of white families can feel comfortable with their child being twelve or thirteen and still not really reading i i I want to say there's like a little bit of maybe a lot of privilege in in that. Oh it's 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 a lot.
1: Can I share even i would say even if you look at instagram accounts and and i want to invite whoever is listening to really lean into this. If you see posts with like very even young toddlers and preschoolers the way that they speak the way that they the funny jokes that they say like all of that and you look at even accounts that follow young children of the same age that are black and brown you will see how the the world is just unforgiving to young people to black and brown people and to young people even at a taller level like you would not have a million likes 100,000 likes on a black child saying a really cute thing that doesn't have condition. they shouldn't they don't need to have the condition at two and three but that's just the lens of the world Um, with anti-Blackness and definitely in this country, even though anti-Blackness is all around the world. And so you don't have, like, I cannot do that. I cannot afford it. Um, There's no social, cultural safety net for me and for my children. And therefore, it is safety. When I tell my children I may not be here tomorrow tomorrow, it's not just because it's brevity of life and uncertainty of life. it's there's a lot to that conversation and there's all of reality to that conversation. And so um, there's a different sense of urgency. Now we what we don't have to do is make that urgency be oppressive and drive us in fear. drive us in fear. So now we are not cultivating joy and cultivating like space and doing all of that for our young people. But um, so I don't do that, but I'm also pragmatic and realistic and saying this is, or the fact that I have to have the conversation where literacy, we were literally by law, (laughs) by laws, there were laws that kept us from engaging with literacy. And so Maybe that's not part of your history and your narrative and you're not telling that story, but I'm telling that story in my house because it's real. And so <clears throat> I absolutely, absolutely think that there is privilege built into that. Let's just see what happens. And, you know, if let's say you have a two parent household and one person, um, that's the, that's why you're able to unschool. school and one person, you know, now one person transitions or there's a divorce and now the children will have to go to school they might go to a school in a school district that understands and is gentle with the children and and that young person and walks that young person through I can I cannot even imagine what predominantly black and brown schools would do with a 14 year old 13 year old 12 year old that is not reading and writing they would criminalize them that's it. There's no, like, there's no, there's no cushion there. And so we have to work within the parameters. We have to contextualize the framework, um, grounded in time and place and culture. And then, and then, but not, we can still do that in a loving way. That's empowering. That's not fear-based and oppressive.
0: And I love that you're changing the the conversation around this, and you're bringing all these things up, and you're also saying that it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, coercion or uh, coercion and they learn to read, or non-coercion and they're just left to their own devices. Like it doesn't, it's not, doesn't have to be split like that. Like you can learn to read at, you know, and learn to be proficient and learn to write. And and push, push down there. yeah yeah we
1: can absolutely do it I mean we can we do it in circle we do it around the couch and having conversations and the hierarchies don't have to be there and there's no top down there's mm-hmm. no top down there's a sharing of information I have information that you need so that the world doesn't gatekeep you let's work in relationship together and get you get you there that's really as simple as that um that's the way that it looks like for me and the the families that I work
0: with and and it's
1: very much unschooling
0: (laughs) yeah yeah and I mean it's what you said at the beginning that you uh care about community and like that's important to you and I think the the whole we've kind of many of us have lost this to some extent the kind of learning from your community right but in maybe other moments in time and other places uh where children were learning from all the adults around them and the community was together a lot like something like reading or whatever the the tool of that time was the important tool of that time was would be learned like that like because you yeah. buy it and people were teaching you uh but you were sharing right um, yeah,
1: I think um, when I work with parents, a lot of the times I share that with the parents. So usually I'm teaching the parent the, the skill. Not I'm not necessarily working with the, with the young person. And I'm always saying this skill, the same way that I am empowering you through this skill, this skill is for you to go share with your friends, family, neighbor, like all the other parents. And so we are part of my work is creating communities of care and seeing ourselves as a resource, not just for our children and what is good for our children, but really how do we extend our lens of educating? Because if my child is doing well and then all of their peers are not, then my child is not doing well. There's no lens, there's no conversation for me, um, no reality where it exists that I can feel good about my child doing well if, his, if their peers or not, like, that's just, doesn't exist in my world, um, and, and in my lens and in my heart. And so, yeah, let's, if we can start to see that, um, then I think we end up getting into a better place. And I will say this, my son, very young, he, like, I'm biased, but I really, but he was just like, maybe I'm not self-directed. He was just like, maybe I'm just like directed by life. Like life-directed, community-directed. Well, yeah. like Yeah. So um, self-directed learning, he's just like, it's more like an everyone around me directed learning. And
0: I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's really, I feel like that's how it unschooling, what unschooling should be. Like it's, it in some circles, it's become very individualistic. So very, a lot about the self you know, and and you and individually what you want, who you wanna be, uh, what you wanna do whenever you wanna do it. And and I mean, I'm all about respecting the autonomy of my children and children in general, but we all also live in community. And I think we tend to forget that piece of it.
1: Yeah, we can do both. It could be both. It's both like collective identity and our individual identity and our collective needs and our individual needs, they both coexist and they're both important. And re- tr- true belonging requires that, that it be both, right? And so we can do that and extends to, it doesn't all of those things and even a lot of the times we're like, yes to all of those things, but not literacy and numeracy. And to me, that's really speaks to school trauma and the fact that we are seeing as unschooling as like a response to our own school trauma. And that's where we have to say, okay, again, with the dogma, like I'm it's this a response to something that I have not that I have not healed within myself. No. So let's let's lean into that, let's pay attention to it, let's heal it um, and see that that's no different than this other collective healing and these other tools it's no different than cooking it's not different than anything else or
0: art or whatever yeah I think you're right that like we as unschoolers like we tend to have like a strong reaction towards reading and uh, or literacy and numeracy because those are the that's what happens in school those are enforced they're like the important things in school Yeah.
1: yeah and so we're like we're not doing that because we're over here and and you know it's like is that really serving us and our and our young people and if it's not then that's maybe not the approach that we need to be having
0: yeah um so i wanted to talk a little bit um just before we finish about uh y- your whole decentering schooling movement mm-hmm. i'm going to call it a movement um because you are like maybe the only person that i know who it talks about this a lot and who yeah you're i mean you're single-handedly doing this uh, i think
1: that, um i think other people are starting to do it these schooling there's a trademark printing for it um i'm working on it and it really there there was unschooling and there was like de-schooling but i was like really and, and i will say this my son came up with it as well. He was saying, "Mom, we do all this work with our self-directed families, but as he he it was around when he was eleven, right? So it's been about three years where the relationship of the adolescent and the, the teen really starts to shift within the homes and he he's saying the things that we do in our home, the relationships that we have, how we relate to each other, is not what." other parents are having with their children, their, the relationship that I have with Laurenate it's not the same. It's really when he started to notice how centering school and how school was centered, really centered, started in middle school. And he started to notice how it really was impacting his peers, which 90% of them go to school. And he was like, so do, do they just never get to experience? And he was like, how about we just talk to their parents? Because the unschooling people, they, they, they're they getting it. <laughs> so he was like, what about them? What about all of my friends? Are they never going to experience, never have a relationship with learning or never come home and their parents really connect with them? Is it always going to be about homework? Are they always going to care about grades? Like, when did they get that? And so during the pandemic, when the school systems kind of collapse, he was like, what if we do it now? <laughs> and so we actually put a framework together. And um, I came up with a framework, but he was the person who was just like, This is it. The schools are collapsing. Parents want this. And how about we teach parents that are going to engage with schools even after how to decenter schooling in their home and build these other things that we've been building? And so I came up with a framework and that's what I have been sharing with parents. And so that unschooling and homeschooling is not for everyone for many reasons, but decentering homeschooling home schooling at home is for everyone because our homes, our families are not just extensions of the schooling process. We're our evolutionary role is to do something else. What is our role? And we have lost we have lost that our like family life has become the container of school performance and future employment
0: and that's really not what sorry no But the adults have become kind of the enforcers of school or like the helpers of school like we're on school side
1: yeah we're school agents and so is that really your evolutionary role as a caregiver you're your role is to care give. (laughs) And so what does that look like outside of the framework of schooling? And that's what I'm, I'm walking a lot of parents through. And I didn't even know that people would take to it the way that they're taking to it. But, but I think that they, I think that once that's been presented, it's like, oh yeah, I had this feeling in my gut, like like now uh, once once alignment is presented, people can maybe they don't know how to do it and it's a lot of deprogramming and it's a lot of work, but once the idea is presenting, then people are gravitating to it and it's really beautiful.
0: Yeah, and I love how um it's it's so inclusive and it's not only about um people who can manage to home educate or unschool or whatever um because everybody can kind of reclaim their own power as a as a family and as parents and yeah you know it's like oh.
1: reclaim revolutionary role like that's the second step of the like the first step of the framework is like can we name how we have centered and all of the and all of the pain that it has caused. So the first piece of it is we name it and we share it. And then all the fear that centering brings about and how we're parenting from fear. And then the second piece is to use actual healing modalities to heal that and be aware that healing needs to happen. And now for reframe, let's step into like this other role that we have. And third is now that we are not centering school, what are we centering and like daring to to, Now, this is where consent comes in, you and your young people and whatever that looks like, and the people in your family get to reclaim and have a more beautiful possibility in home identity, family identity of what you are outside of school together.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I have one last question, and it's a little, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just one last thing, which is basically how there's a lot of talk, as you know, like now about uh, school abolition, and a lot of people who are are into that and uh, think that school should be abolished and we should just create a bunch of other possibilities. And there's a lot of discussion around what exactly, how, etc. How do you see that? Like, do you see that as a an option, or are you are you more about we have school now, like, that's what we've got. We got to work we, with what we, we've we got. Like, I, I wonder where you kind of place yourself in that conversation. Well, I
1: think where, um, that's where the centering comes in because abolition is still, it, abolition is still fight flight, right? And so it's still like us thinking, uh, us being into this fight mode is still a trauma response. And what I want to say is, can we get into can we dream before abolition comes we have to dream we have to think right we have to reflect and and so how do we do that how do we make space how do we free up the bandwidth so that we can even think of a more beautiful possibility we first decenter to center so we first are doing the psychological spiritual work within families within ourselves and getting ourselves to a space where we can create so then then whatever comes next has been created from this space
0: um mm-hmm. that's
1: my contribution
0: kind of like preparation work in a way is that yeah, yeah. okay that's because i haven't made that link
1: yeah it's psychological and spiritual and cognitive preparation for grounding ourselves and then being in a space where we can create a, a more beautiful intangible and, and realistic possibility
0: yeah, because actually a, lo- a lot of the conversations I've had with people who talk about abolition are uh, around how the there needs to be a massive culture shift and just a massive rethinking of like educate what education is what children deserve everything basically and a complete de-schooling of everyone and that's not going to happen overnight
1: it's and- not going to happen overnight and so the ab- the abolition happens internally mm. the abolition happens psychologically the abolition happens again in community and the first community that you have is your familial unit and so you're abolishing the structures in your living room, mm-hmm. right? And then you're creating the possibility in your living room. And now you have a model <clears> that you have a model that and we have many models. And then that inspires other people because as humans, we are scared, naturally scared of the things that we don't know. And we will never get, we will never get policy or people to get behind policy and just into an abyss. But when we have large numbers of very grounded people who understand how to decenter and center and create, and they're working on it from this point, highly literate (laughs) individuals, right? Individuals with a lot of literacy, individuals with non-numeracy, individuals with a lot of emotional literacy, like all of those things that we're creating with home as the epicenter which is what we're doing with my work calls us to do then that's different. And I think that that is the path to abolition, both abolition and creation.
0: Okay. Thank you. Um, I love that. This has been such a great uh, conversation. Thank you for sharing so generously. Um, would you like to just, uh, tell people where they can find you on social media or anything you've got going on uh. yeah
1: so um people if they want to know uh, they can find me through home as epicenter is one of my websites um in kind of my pet project right now what i'm putting a lot of energy into and um, really is a reframing and reshifting of what i would like us to embody so home as epicenter as well as from cha- um from highchairtofreedom.com so from highchairtofreedom.com and homeless epicenters are my to websites and at Raising Readers is my busiest, most active social media handle.
0: But yeah, just find that, me. Uh, is that Twitter as well as? Yes, as- I'm not on Twitter. I refuse to be on Twitter.
1: <laughs> um, so it's just on Instagram. Yes, at Raising Readers.
0: All right, great. Um, well, uh, thanks again. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. I- Thank you so much for having me. And I really do love your work. thank you you so much for listening if you're enjoying this podcast please consider rating reviewing and sharing it's an absolute labor of love for me and uh, I would really love if I could reach more people with it thank you